Good morning, everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dave. I'm part of the leadership team here at the church. And so this morning, I've been asked to speak about that um, uh, passage we just read in Acts, um, and also particularly about um, resilience. I'll come back to that theme in a minute. But for those of you who know me well, um, I've spent some time uh, working in India with Oasis. I've done this several times over the years. Um, in fact, I always tell stories about India. Um, here's another one for you. But um, I was in India um, in 2005, I think it was. Um, and I went there as part of a sort of um, gap year team with Oasis. I think I was 22 or 23 at the time. Um, and everybody in India is obsessed with whether you're married or not. And I wasn't at the time. Um, and so I went to a church and was part of some projects there. And people would constantly ask you about whether you're getting married and who you're getting married to and 23 and you're getting on a bit, aren't you? And all of that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, as I was leaving India, I was packing up to leave India. I was back in Mumbai in the city about to get the plane back to the UK. And I got a phone call from a guy who I'd been working with who said, well, it's really nice to meet you, Dave, and I hope you're you have a good plane journey back to the UK. Um, and I've had this bit of prophecy for you. Um, when you get back to the UK, you're going to marry the first person you see when you leave the arrivals door at Heathrow Airport. <laughs> now, this was a problem because the first person I saw when I left the arrivals door was my dad. Um, <laughs> and the person after that was somebody who served me at Costa. And, you're like, and neither of those things have happened. In fact, <laughs> I didn't meet Anna until about eight years later. So that one didn't really work out. However, whilst I was in India, I got some... Other, this happened quite a lot. I went to a church uh, once with a group of people who were on the team with me out there. And there was a, the, the preacher at the front of the church had some prophecy for each one of us and sort of went down the line giving us a bit of prophecy. And they were all related to different animals that we might be. So like Alex on the end, it was like, you are a squirrel and this is, you know, <laughs> this is what it means and this is what I've got to say to you. And it got to me um, and I became a long distance horse, <laughs> which... <laughs> Which <laughs> I don't particularly like the imagery, but you know, um, but actually thinking about it, if if that meant I don't know whether it did, but if that meant a sense of perseverance to keep going at stuff and grit to keep going at stuff and resilience to keep going for a big goal in the distance, I guess that is something I perhaps aspire to be a bit like, and is a good thing. And I wonder whether it relates a bit to this passage and the story of of Paul. So what I really want to talk about is not so much resilience. Um, but this concept grit and resilience and grit are completely related to one another. Resilience, I think, speaks to, you know, picking yourself up when something's gone wrong and going again and trying again and having the emotional energy to be able to do some of that stuff. Um, and I think grit relates to this idea of having a big long-term goal and striving towards it with perseverance and real motivation. And of course, the two things are completely linked together. But I want to talk a bit about grit because I think... Um, Paul's life, not just the story we read, but Paul's life um, speaks to this in, in spades, really. Um, Paul, you know, um, was born in Tarsus, which is a city in, in modern-day Turkey. Um, and, you know, in the beginning of his life, he was quite a fanatical Pharisee. Um, and there's loads of stories in the Bible that talk about how he used to persecute the Christians, the early first Christians. Um, and then there's that fantastic story of the road to Damascus, where he has this life-changing experience where... Um, he's blinded and feels like he hears from Jesus and his life pivots at that moment. He does something quite different. Um, and Paul, I think, gets a, a bad rap, but Paul 
Paul's big mission in life is this big mission of inclusion. He decides that this message he's heard, which is liberating and loving, that this message he's heard from Jesus is not just for the Jewish people, but for the entire world. And so Paul sets off in this mission, there are loads of stories in Acts, to go and tell the Gentiles, to tell the non-Jewish people, all the people around the known world. And Paul sets off on all of these journeys. You probably know he went on journeys around the Mediterranean to to places in Greece, to places in Turkey, to Cyprus, Crete, possibly even Spain, set off on all these journeys around the Mediterranean. Um, And he would get locked up, he'd get beaten up, he'd get into conflict with different people. They were really challenging. He'd end up shipwrecked, the story we just read about. They were really challenging journeys, and he set off on these. And he would keep coming back to Jerusalem, and he'd come back to Jerusalem, and he'd end up in conflict with some of his friends about is it okay that the Gentiles are included in this big story? And if they are included, do they actually have to morph and become Jews and take on all of the cultural heritage of, of being a Jew? And they, they had these conflicts about all of this, and Paul stuck to his guns and, and kept going. Um, and ultimately, Paul ended up arrested. And the sort of preamble to the story um, Jill just read is that Paul's been arrested because of you know some of this conflict. Um, and Paul is actually taken before a Jewish court, and there's a plot to possibly kill him and he avoids that and ultimately this court is going to rule on what's going to happen to Paul Um, and that could be bad news for him. And Paul is actually a a Roman citizen as well Um, and if you're a Roman citizen you get the opportunity to appeal to Rome, to appeal to Caesar to hear your case and so I guess to avoid the consequences of this Jewish court but also to land himself in Rome um, which is part of his big mission, Paul appeals to Caesar and says, I want my case heard by Caesar in Rome. And so Paul ends up on that boat um, that Jill just talked about. And it's sailing across the Mediterranean and they end up in this great big storm. And there's that whole stuff about there, which we'll come back to in a minute, about in the storm, the prisoners are going to get, you know, stuck on the boat while all the sailors clear off. And they're all worried about the fact they're going to die and it's going to sink and all of that stuff. Um, and ultimately the ship does get wrecked, but they land up on that beach in Malta. I think built into that story is this, and the life of Paul is this great sense of grit and determination and perseverance, but we'll come back to some of those concepts in a minute. Um, As I talk through some of this, I guess just a sort of caveat to it all, um, being resilient and being gritty and being persevering, I think is massively easier said than done. Um, being able to do some of this stuff, I think, is just like work of humanity, isn't it? To be able to pick yourself up and go again at something, to be able to persevere for a long-term goal, I think it's like the big thing that we're all gra- um, grappling around to be able to do. Um, so some of the things I'm going to say, I think, are um, easier said than done, and perhaps just a glimpse at some of the things that might help us be persevering and and um, and resilient. Um. We talk about this quite a lot in Oasis, this concept of resilience and grit, um, and particularly in education context. In fact, it's pretty, it's sort of in vogue at the moment to talk about resilience in a school context. And we talk about it in Oasis because we often get um, what's called leavers data, which is like when the kids leave at 16 or 18, if they've been to sixth form, what actually happens to them two years later? What happens to them? Do they end up in a job that they're holding down? Do they end up in training or employment? Um, and there's quite a gap sometimes between they've left school, you know, 
um, all G'd up and you know, got brilliant grades and all of that sort of stuff. And then two years later you find perhaps they haven't got the resilience to keep hold down a job or you know, do the things they wanted to in life. And so there's quite a lot of analysis in the education sector these days about what actually happens after the end of all of that stuff. Have people been resilient and gritty in life? Um, and there's quite a lot of talk around lots of this and lots of um, psychology around what are we actually teaching our kids? Are we just teaching them stuff and knowledge and, you know, to be excellent at maths or are we teaching them to be resilient? Um, so we're going to just play a, a TED Talk clip just a second from a lady called uh, Angela Duckworth and this is about being gritty and it says um, what I'm trying to say but much better. So here you go. <laughs> There you go. It's a, it's a good video, isn't it? Um, so I guess the question that she posed in the middle of it is, how do we build grit? How do we build resilience? And she said, we don't necessarily know the answers, and, and we probably don't. I think and that was you know, five or six years ago. I think things have moved on, and people have done lots of research around some of this in that gap, but we probably still don't know entirely. But I wonder whether there are some things we can learn from this story we've just read and the life of Paul that are at least a glimpse into some of... Uh, the answer to that question. Um, I, so here are just three things I pulled out of that story that I think could be a bit of an answer to how we build grit and resilience. And the first thing I've already alluded to, I think Paul, in that story and in all the stories that are written into the New Testament, has a real clear purpose and mission. I think Paul um, gets a bad rap sometimes but had this mission where he was going to go and tell this liberating message of love and compassion and grace and kindness to the whole world. It was huge. Um, and he drove at that mission day in, day out, with some of the heartache and with some of the pain and with some of the hardness of the situations he found himself in. But day in, day out, Paul drove at that mission. And I think when we look at some of our sort of modern heroes that we, you know, we talk about a lot, you know, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, those sorts of people... Um, you see that same sort of sense, I think, in some of their lives. Um, I don't know whether you've read the book uh, Long Walk to Freedom or seen, seen the film of it, but you know when um, Nelson Mandela stands up in court and he's about to be convicted and, you know, as we later find out, sent off to Robin Island, and he stands up in court and said, this ideal, this thing I've been fighting for is an ideal I've lived with and will continue to live with every day of my life, but frankly, I'm also prepared to die for it. And you can just sense in the heart of what he's saying that I've got this like big mission that I'm going to drive at day in, day out, whatever. Um, I think actually interestingly in the, in the, the, the film, there's, if you've watched Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela also sets himself much smaller goals. So um, when he ends up in prison on Robin Island, I don't know whether you've seen that bit where um, all the um, prisoners are given shorts to wear. Um, and I think he's just got this sense of you need a purpose in life, you need a mission in life to be able to be resilient, to keep going. And so Nelson Mandela sets all the other guys from the ANC that have been locked up this mission of they're going to get trousers, um, not shorts. And so they fight day in, day out, and write off to the governor and talk to the guards about the fact they want trousers. And I think it takes them years to get there. But eventually they do get trousers, um, and they get long trousers, not shorts to wear. I think into Nelson Mandela's life, there's this sense that you need a mission and purpose, something to drive at. Sometimes those are small things, sometimes those are change the world things. But I think there's this sense that in order to be resilient and gritty, you've got to know what some of that stuff is. And I, I think all of that, like finding purpose and mission and vision, I think 
it's great. On the other hand, it can be a bit intimidating. It's like, you know, not everybody. In fact, those people are the, you know, unusual people that have those big change the world missions, aren't they? You know, Nelson Mandela and St. Paul and the reading we've been talking about. Not everybody has it quite like that. And it can be a bit intimidating. Um, I went on a course, must have been five or six years ago now, where at the start of the course, they got us to write down a life statement. And it was like, you know, who do you want to be in life? What do you, what do you want to do? And the encouragement was, this doesn't have to be those absolutely huge things. This can be, you know, I want to be a good dad, or um, I want to be the person at work who is always ethical, or I want to be the person that gives of my time to other people and is always generous and goes the extra mile to help other people. I think we can all think about what our purpose of mission is, and it can be some of that stuff. In fact, that stuff is almost more valuable than the sort of big ticket things, if you like. Um, so, I, I, you know, the purpose of mission thing, I don't know that it should be intimidating. I think we can all do work to think, what is it, who is it that I want to be? What is it I want to do in life? So my first thing that I think we draw out of the life of Paul is that story. For him to be gritty and resilient and just keep going, I think you need um, to know what your story is, what your, who it is you want to be and what, what your mission is. That's the first thing. Second thing it is, um, I think Paul's got a real clear understanding that in order to be resilient and in order to be gritty, it's not just about all the external stuff that you do. It's also about the internal change that goes on inside um, and about understanding yourself. Um, we just did the bit on Galatians earlier, didn't we, which is all about, like, here are some character, character traits to live by. Here's the model of Jesus. Here's the character of Jesus. If you live like that, you might stand a chance of being resilient. You might stand a chance of being gritty. Um, we'll come back to that in just a moment. There's a lady called... Um, Brené Brown, who's a researcher, psychologist, and a professor who has done lots of thinking around this. She's written a book called Rising Strong, um, and it's got some concepts in it which we're going to just explore in no detail whatsoever, so you should go away and read about this if you want to, but three concepts. And the first one is a concept called reckoning, which is when we're in the midst of things not going right, or pain, or hurt, or not being in the place we want to be in, we don't get a choice about that. I mean, you know, bad stuff happens to all of us. Um, you know, we get no say, really, over whether good or bad stuff comes our way. What we do have a choice about, though, is how we respond and whether we are wanting to investigate the emotions that go with that or whether we want to hide from them and walk in the other direction and numb ourselves from those emotions. Um, and Brené Brown's encouragement is in this reckoning stage that the people who are most resilient, that the people who stand most chance of being gritty, are the people who are quite curious about those emotions, that actually sit and try and explore them a bit and think, where have they come from? Why am I feeling like this? How, how do my emotions get to this place? And she says there's loads of research that say for people that try and bury that stuff and hide it and run away from it and walk in the other direction, actually, you know, short term, maybe that works, don't know, but long term, she says, that often ends people doing things they never really wanted to do um, and not responding in the way that they would want to respond if they were, you know, doing it from scratch. So our encouragement in this first stage is to just be curious about the difficulty you find yourself in, be curious about the emotions that go with that. Second stage is something called rumbling, which Jill's talked to us about before. But rumbling is this thing where we are hardwired to write stories about our lives. So... We love a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
and frankly, if the story hasn't got a beginning, a middle, and an end, we'll make it up so that it does. Um, and so this just happens, doesn't it, all the time. So it certainly happens to me. You know, at work, somebody's been unpleasant to me. I don't really know why, so I'll just make it up. They're unpleasant to me because they don't like me. They're unpleasant to me because they're just a terrible person. They're unpleasant to me because they really don't agree with the thing that I agree. You know, like we make up the end, and it's often complete rubbish. Um, and she says we ought to explore those stories a bit more deeply than we do. So we've got another little video, um, I hope, from Brené Brown, which just gives you a glimpse into how that plays out. It's funny, isn't it? Um, and I guess that was about blame, but it's just that quick, like when something goes wrong, when something's not the way we want it to be, writing this big story about it's somebody else's fault or this is the end of the story that I'm just going to completely fabricate or whatever. Um, so Brené Brown says two things to us. One is explore and be curious about your emotions. Two is have a good think about those stories you've written around the, the place you're in. Um, and then the third thing she says is called revolution, which is if you've done that, some of, some of that analysis, you can have probably just a better stab at um, doing something different, living in a different way, responding to that situation in a different way. And so she says, in effect, I think to us, you've got to understand yourself a bit better than we do um, and not just get trapped in, in that first place of this is not right and I've written a big story around it. Um, I think St. Paul... Um, is in the same place. I think he's saying to us, we've got to analyse ourselves a bit better. We've got to be a bit better on thinking about our character formation. I think that's why you get the entire book of Galatians, frankly. It is, do this stuff, do this stuff. It looks like Jesus. And if you do this stuff, frankly, do whatever you like after that. If you've got these character traits, you can do anything. I think St. Paul is encouraging us. If we want to be resilient and gritty and persevering like he was... Actually, we've got to invest time in character formation. That's why we bang on about the nine habits. I think on the back of the news sheet, that's why we've got these questions on the back of here. That's all the same stuff. It's, it's going to help us. It's going to help us be more resilient and gritty people. Third thing is, so first thing is, I think, having a big mission. Second thing is something to do with interchange and character formation. And then the third thing, I think, is... It's all very well having a big mission, and it's all very well being in, introspective and thinking about your character. But if you do that as a lone ranger, well, at best, I think that's very difficult. At worst, I think that probably just isn't possible. So we've got to somehow do this resilience in community together. And again, I think you see that in the life and that story of St. Paul. Um, St. Paul is all about communities, isn't he? It, like his mission is to go around the Mediterranean on boats, for years at a time, setting up these little small groups of people who are little communities together in these different cities in Corinth and, you know, in cities in Turkey around the Mediterranean. His old DNA is about set up community together. And he must have thought, because this is going to give you the best chance to look most like Jesus and the best chance to be resilient together. He sets up small groups, even when he's on his own, and he often travels with other people, but even when he's on his own, he's writing letters back to those communities that he often knows very well, and encouraging them and telling them to change this and change that. So he's connected into community the whole time. I think some of his resilience as he's doing this big job is to do with his connection into community. He travels with other people. He doesn't often go on his own. He's traveling with you know, Barnabas and you know, other people. Um, and even in that story, he, has, you know, he gets shipwrecked on a beach and the first little random little paragraph at the end about the snake and the fire is about the people he met and how kind they were. He's immediately into a story about the people he's met in Malta. So I think 
we've got to do resilience as community and not feel like we have to do it on our own and not feel like we have to be gritty on our own. Relating back to what Steve talked about earlier, that I think is our community being resilient together, not people feeling like I've got to have my own personal journey of complete grit and resilience. Like how can we as a community be resilient and gritty together? This week, um, I spent some time with um, somebody from one of our projects, not in an Oasis project, not in London, but in an, another city around the country. And they told this story. Um, it was a lady I met. She told this story, which was heartbreaking, frankly. It was about how the world had mistreated her and let her down and how she got health problems and all sorts of different things that she told this really sort of crushing story and talked about how she was trying to be resilient and trying to be gritty. Um, and just said it didn't work. And I tried to get help, and I tried to get help from sort of some professionals who came and gave me some advice, but that didn't really work. And frankly, their advice sometimes was, you need to limit your aspirations here. You know, you, you're not going to pull that off, so don't aspire to that. Um, and it was professional advice, so they came and went, and, you know, didn't really help anything. And then she told the story of meeting some Oasis staff in the, in the city where we worked. And the tone of the conversation completely changed. And she talked about two things that were helping her be more gritty and resilient in life. One was that she was now part of a community. And the people who she was meeting weren't disembodied professionals. They were people who wanted to build friendship and connection with her. And she was meeting other people as part of community. And the other thing she talked about was that the staff had said to her, no, you definitely need aspiration and purpose. Like, it's not just a nice to have extra, it's critical to life. Um, and they said to her, look, you need to invest in that skill that you love to do because it's important that you've got mission and purpose. And this was just like the beginning of their relationship together. But it just struck me that in those small early interactions, community and purpose had had this transformational effect on this person's life. And she went on to talk about how, you know, she's caring for somebody and she's been much more resilient in life and feeling a much happier place to be able to respond to the world around her. And it just struck me that it doesn't actually take much of those things to have a real transformational impact. So I'm going to stop now and then we're going to pray together. But I guess the, the things I wanted to say were, it, these are just a glimpse into grit and resilience. I think knowing who we want to be, what our purpose is, why are we here? That quote we often talk about, you know, what are you going to do with your um, you know, um, wild and wonderful life? Whatever it is that we talk about often. Um, I think that we need to answer that question. Secondly, I think we need to spend time thinking and actually investigating our inner formation. Um, and thirdly, we need to do it together as a community. Um, and finally, I would just say grit and resilience on their own are not enough. You could be resilient and gritty and do some terrible stuff in life, couldn't you? Um, I think we're encouraged um, by Paul, by Jesus, frankly, that we should be gritty and resilient about loving God, loving our neighbours as we love ourselves. Our job is to be gritty and to persevere with that task day in, day out, whatever that looks like. Um, so I think our encouragement is to investigate how do we make ourselves more resilient as a community together so that we can love God and love our neighbour as we love ourselves. So I am going to stop there and we're going to pray together. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the ups and downs in life. Um, thank you for the opportunity and challenge we get to grow in the midst of all of that. Um, we just pray that we can become a resilient community of people together um, and that we learn the skills together to be resilient and gritty and to keep going. Lord, we want to be people who 
love you and love our neighbours as we love ourselves. Uh, help us in that journey together. Amen.